You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell from July 28, 2018. How did it happen? Well, I... Well, he fell on his way to the shower. He was coming from that direction. From his tent, I guess. Going in that direction. The showers. Uh, were you directing traffic at the time of the accident, officer? It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend. I'm Gary Manson. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad to have you with us. We have a very special guest with <clears> a <throat> second appearance from the lovely, the extremely talented and very popular, iconic even, Loretta Sweat joins us here momentarily. We've got some mad props in brief form, Suzanne. Would you do the honors? I would be happy to. Loretta Sweat played the groundbreaking role of Hot Lips Houlihan during 256 episodes and 11 seasons of M.A.S.H., this year, 2018, marks the 45th anniversary of the landmark hit TV series, and Loretta is as active now as she was then, touring the country with the release of her book, Sweetheart. She also has done a lot of Broadway work, and we're going to have questions about her book, her work on Broadway, and MASH. She steered her artistic gifts in a new and prominent direction by lending her drawings to the book Sweetheart, the watercolor artistry and animal activism of Loretta Swit in support of animal welfare, a cause very near and dear to her heart. One of the many things we want to talk to her about in this hour. And welcome for the second time to Manson Mitchell. Loretta Swit, how are you today? I'm terrific. Thank you. Now, I have you on speaker. If that's not working, you let me know. Okay. okay. Uh, we can hear you, but I think our audio wizard there, the dude, probably would prefer to have you on the phone. It just sounds deeper, more resonant if you do it that way. Uh, okay. This is, me on, this is me on the phone. Is that better for you? Much yes. better. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. And thanks for asking. Talk about preparation. I was going through, I got to do my show prep there. And Jamie Farr, <laughs> Jamie Farr was being interviewed about MASH. Imagine that. He was reminiscing, and this was archival, so that it's it's where it needs to be in the on in the forever file. And one of the things he said was that Loretta Sweat, you know how some women are in the trailer and they're primping all the time and you're wondering where they are. Not Loretta. She was right there, ready to go. Okay, let's get going. And I go, well, there's the mark <laughs> of professionalism right there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, I didn't think anything was more important than being ready to go. So anyway. I, you know, I'm going to be on a, just a, because I have to uh, pay respects, I need to go on a bit of a downer here. I'm sorry to say, Loretta, David Ogden Stiers left us recently, and I understand yeah. that you and he were great friends, and this is an opportunity for us to ask you to say whatever you want to say in memoriam. Um, I wrote a piece that Alan liked so much that he put it on the, uh, Twitter, and I thought maybe I could tell you that story. Sure. <laughs> yes, David Ogden and I had a, a wonderful, special kind of relationship. Uh, <clears throat> David and I had a running gag. He's a very private person, and uh, we didn't actually even have his phone number. You know, we'd get 
get in contact with him if we had to uh, uh, when we weren't working uh, through his agent or through the, the studio or something. And I thought that was really very unique <laughs> since we're great friends. I don't have your phone number, and I would tease him about this. So this is ridiculous. What if I, what if I Saturday morning decide to have a little soiree Sunday night, and I can't, I can't, I, I need your phone number. I need to be able to call you and invite you. And he would tease back and say, "Well, you're assuming, of course, I would attend such a thing, and you know, doing Winchester." And so uh, this went on for a long time, teasing him, and um, during the shoot of Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen, Winchester, uh, at the, the scene was Winchester returning a book, or actually giving a book to Margaret, a book of poetry that uh, they had had fights over. He claimed that um, she borrowed it. And she claimed he gave it to her. <laughs> and so there was this uh, altercation. And so in the end, in a Goodbye, Farewell, we had a scene where he was going to give it to him, to me uh, as a gesture of goodbye. And it's in and of itself touching enough for both of us to respond to, but he gave me the book, and on camera, I was supposed to open the book, and apparently Winchester would have written something nice to Margaret. Instead, David wrote his phone number for me uh. in the book. And, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, on camera. When you watch it, that's what I'm reacting to. When I opened the book, I saw his phone number. <laughs> and uh, the last moment we had together on camera, uh, I was in the Jeep driving away, and I turned back, and he looked at me, and he put his hand over his heart. Mm. Oh, and that, very that sweet. Was, that was the last gesture the two characters had. And uh, I still get a little choked up about that, but, uh, I, yeah, I love David. We all love David. We all had different course different relationships with him we loved our scenes together um i think some of my funniest work was with david when i accused him of touching his nose in surgery and uh, you know she, she was head nurse she was in charge of hygiene and she saw him touch his nose in surgery <laughs> and I, I still am tickled by the whole idea. Or he said she was delusional, and they had this big fight over whether or not he touched his nose. They called him Sidney Friedman because he was getting maniacal. It was maniacal, rather. And um, Sidney Friedman was our, our our brain person, our psychological doctor. And uh, he had to speak to the both of us. About about this issue of whether or not David touched his nose. I mean, the the whole thing was just absurd and funny and silly. And I think it was some of the funniest things we've ever done. Uh, he and I ever did together on Mash. Um, I have just very luscious luscious memories of David. One of the we, of things course, that uh, you know, you know, we're a very close family. We yes, were with yes. David uh, in, we were in touch with David during 
this whole period of his being stricken. So oh. we, it was not a shock to us when he right. went, and we knew immediately what was going on. We knew <clears throat> from time to time um, what the latest report was and so forth. So, uh, But that's what families are for, is supposed to be there for you, and we were. Very good, very good. But in talking about um, Ash this morning, we Gary and I learned in reading an article, an article that just recently came out this week in the New Yorker about Mash, <clears throat> and in it it said that you and Alan Alda were the only two people who were there for all eleven seasons. Right, and, we were in the pilot and we were in the finale. And then uh, one but, of the but but the thing is ahead. that it's a little. Um, uh, uh, addendum to that. Right. Jamie Farr, during the first year, was hired as a day player. And of course, everybody, <laughs> the, the world fell in love with him. And at the end of the first season, he was hired as oh. a regular. So technically, <laughs> technically, okay. though he wasn't in the pilot, Jamie was also there for us, for the tour okay. of duty. So he was there for all three seasons, too, just not under contract in the same way 11, that you and Alan Alda 11 were. Se- Eleven seasons, right. not three. Eleven right. seasons. Right, right. Um, one of the things that I was noting about that, we, we've talked about other times where the cast members have changed and and how it, it may, it was either okay or it was the demise of a show. And in your case, uh, with those 11 seasons, the changes in characters worked fine. And one of the things that I thought about was that having David Ogden Stiers play off you and the two of you doing comedy together uh, allowed the Margaret character to actually mature a little bit because of um, your early years with Larry Linville, which were nearly uh, slapstick, they they were they were like vaudeville practically, <laughs> and, and so you were allowed to mm, be I a little bit more mature. Agree. No, I don't. I don't quite agree with that. But go on. Oh, I just thought they were some of the funniest, craziest scenes. Well, Larry Linville got to be the foil. I think that's right. one of the hardest roles I can imagine doing that each episode. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and I think. Uh, what was interesting for me was that they, uh, the the writers continued to write her uh, growing stronger and brighter. She was uh, yes. she was she was being written uh, as more intelligent. And Larry, they kept a fool and more foolish. And they writ- they had written into my character a tremendous admiration <clears throat> for discipline and uh, uh, medicine, and she admired the doctors, even if they gave her uh, great stress. Uh, She admired their skill, and Larry was written as an incompetent. And I think uh, that had to wear on her, you see, and I had to play that. I had to, uh, my whole thing for the first three years was to get out of that relationship. And that's what we worked on. And when <clears throat> we had a uh, uh, a big uh, uh, <laughs> a big meeting on the phone, I was in New York doing a play during a hiatus, and uh, 
uh, the, all, all the uh, writers and Jean and Larry got on the phone, and we had a little uh, conference about where we thought she was going. Well, what, what, what did I have some ideas about how to handle this, and, and what, what did I see in her future? And um, we discussed it. I said, I think she should. Uh, she's got to end this relationship, and uh, a way might be to send her on some R and R to Tokyo and let her meet somebody who is not a doctor, but who outranks Frank, somebody she admires, and uh, let her fall in love and get engaged. And I said, when she brings him back to the 407 Center, can you imagine what, what Lindell what Frank Burns is going to do when he finds out his, his lady is engaged to this really terrific guy? And, of course, that was very funny. Larry Linville tore off the, the doors to the, the mess tent when he found out. So yes. we went on from there. Jean said, uh, and then what? And I said, uh, why not? Why can't she get married? Uh, you know, Potter can give her away, her, her, her stand-up father, really. And, the, the you know, we get married, Father Mulcahy, and, you know. And so uh, Jean said that might be too permanent. And Jean had just gotten divorced before then, just quite recently before then. And I said, Jean, Jean, how can you say that? You know, there's nothing permanent about marriage. You just got divorced, just to prove that point. So I said, then she finds out he was uh, disloyal. She finds Mm -hmm. out that he was a cheat. And so she divorces him. And I, uh, as a joke, said, and then she's back in town. And when they did all of those themes, all of those episodes... They called that one Hot Lips is Back in Town. So it was very funny. We did actually, uh, together, develop all those stories. And that's what we did and kind of uh, continued her growth from, from that relationship and, uh, and onward. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that character development that happened over the years, not over, you know, a half hour or one season, but over a period of time, really rings more true with the way life is than just That's playing hard. it strictly for comedy. I don't know why this just came to mind, but something like uh, a threes company where they're playing the same joke every single week with the, the two girls and the guy living together, it, you get it a was better, like, it didn't, you might, they didn't develop them. No, you might, you, you might want to get a better example. I mean, something <laughs> yeah. uh, on a level. No, I'm, 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 no, I'm if it serious. Were, I'm serious. If it weren't no, for the, uh, no, the English no, device no, guys, of double entendre, that show wouldn't have made down. it. I'm not putting that down. Freeze Company no, had right. its place. It had its talent. It had its entertainment value. What I'm saying is, if you're going to make comparisons, um, mm-hmm. how about some good ones like with a Mary Tyler Moore who continued to grow in her yeah. role, or a right. Phyllis, or a Maud? So you say, if you're going to make comparisons, uh, at least you know keep us on on uh, that kind of level where they're dramedies, where we're we're doing um, some intelligent uh, growth, and uh, and I I saw that in other characters, and as a matter of fact. I saw it in all the characters on MASH. Um, yes, uh, right. 
And I think you have to consider that when you have 11 years in which to grow, you have mm-hmm. an advantage. You have an advantage. You have the time to stretch and grow. And when you have writers that we were blessed with, we were able to do that. They were able to do that. And what was new is it was the first time a situation comedy, which we never were, sitcom. Uh, I don't know. We're, we were our own. We were MASH. That's who we were. It was not. You couldn't put us into a a uh, uh, little bailiwick and, and yeah. say that's yeah. And uh, and um, there hadn't been that kind of allowance for growth. Because I think they always kept in mind uh, reruns, and you could be going back and forth with their when they were young, and then they were older. And so what? So what? I watch this incredible um, drama on television now called SVU, the Special Victims Unit. Yes. The um, there the um, the team the ensemble is fabulous, fabulous, wonderful acting, wonderful. She, Marishka Hargitay, I think is one of the best actors, if not the best actress on television right now. And their stories, they try very hard. Their stories are, are kept up there. They're good. And and I see growth. They're, yes. they're, they're, they're long run. They're on 17 years or something. It, by virtue of, of, of acting, of writing, you, you must continue to grow. But it's when when you have a, a real sitcom, you don't kind of have to. You're doing these these funny characters with these funny problems. Um, you don't walk away learning something, or you don't walk away being a better person. That's not the kind of show it is. But I don't put down what it is. What it is is entertaining, entertaining and fun, and a lot of there's an audience that loves those characters and loves their silly problems and kind of, in a way, escapism. Escapism. I think that was kind of what I was trying to say. But I think following MASH, the shows began to realize they could do that that, that, that the characters could actually continue to grow. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? No, that's true. No, it's definitely true, Lorette. As a matter of fact, and and the TV historians among us, some of us pop culture buffs, and this is a baby boomer show by and large anyway that you're being interviewed on. I look at at someone like it, and it speaks to exactly what you're saying, if I understand you correctly. If you look at a TV genius in his own way over at ABC, Fred Silverman. Fred Silverman shows up. He was not going to be a MASH guy. Fred Silverman was Charlie's Angels guy, and we all understand the meaning of the phrase T and A, and this is what he thought needed to happen at ABC because they were in the ratings tank all the time, and what do you do about that? And so Three's Company, et cetera, it shows up to be what it was going to be, and they got the ratings and made money for a while. End of story. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's it's a business. I don't, I don't really... Uh... And uh, I, uh, two of my great friends uh, were were angels, and uh, they played it for what it was. They didn't, they didn't, they knew they weren't doing uh, Medea. I mean, this way it was what it was. 
And uh, I know Farah and I would laugh if I said two funny things. Um, you know, say, watch this. <laughs> she said, She'd pull out a gun and then she'd look in the mirror and fix her hair a little bit and point the gun. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was what it was, and it was a gem, a little gem, for what it was. And Especially in that can't first year, argue with the kind of success that had. And yes, you're right about Silverman. That that takes it takes a kind of funny genius to to uh, do that. And he pulled them, he pulled them uh, to uh, a higher rating. Uh, quickly and and monetarily successfully that's true was your second friend among charlie's angels kay jackson uh no uh, no uh, i know kate but no i was closer to, to uh, Jacqueline the other Smith. two girls yeah. Yes. Okay. I mentioned it only because through, and this was completely fortuitous. I heard an ad about a personal appearance being made in Orange County where I grew up and Kate Jackson was going to be appearing at this Barbizon modeling school. And I actually had to scare up a, a sorority friend of mine who looked like she could be a model if she worked at it and asked her if she would show up because it was free and she agreed to go with me. And so I got the opportunity to meet Kate Jackson. And that was while The Rookies was still in production. And um, so and then she went on to Charlie's Angels. But um, Kate Jackson, she was a professional. She was quite friendly and correct with us on this occasion during this public appearance. But it's so interesting yeah. how, how the audience can be the best and the worst critics because during that year when Farrah became such a sensation, People would talk about Charlie's Angels. I'm sure you must have heard about this in your circle of friends, but me talking to somebody at the grocery store or at school or whatever it was, the comment was always, oh yeah, Charlie's Angels, that's a fun show. And then actors would be mentioned. And when you said Kate Jackson, every time the person hearing that would say, oh yeah, the one that can act. Uh, I've never heard that. And uh, it's, it's an opinion. What can I say? Uh, Farrah was one of a kind, and Jacqueline, who continues uh, to work, uh, uh, is there. But they were both, I thought, very fine actresses. Uh, I don't. Farrah Fawcett. Let's give her her due. I don't don't know why. I don't know why anybody uh, would say that, except that uh, their beauty was so stunning. You probably didn't notice that they were working. I, you know, what can I say? Nobody oh. ever really gave Cary Grant the credit for the actor he was, right. because he was just so stunning as a uh, as a presence. He could do anything. He could do comedy, drama. He could do anything. He'd break your heart and make you laugh so hard you cried. Uh, right. But but when they talk about Cary, they talk about. His his persona, his charm, his his presence, and uh, his looks, and you know. So uh, sometimes, like when Carrie, uh, okay, here's a perfect example. Uh, when Farah did the burning bed, uh, she she did not look her ultimate. Tried not to look uh, True. well. She dressed down. She 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 um. Uh, she was an she tried to look uh, like a person um, that you'd see on the street and not... I mean, she was stunning. There's, uh, trust me, she was totally stunning. She had this sure. gorgeous colored skin. It was, uh, and this 
silver blonde hair, naturally curly, tumbling all over that that stunning face. Uh, it, it was almost distracting. So yes. you know, and and uh, Silverman used it, and and wisely. I mean, that 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 was what he was selling. But when she exactly. was uh, doing other pieces, I found her to be quite uh, quite a good actress. And, yes, and um, that is, and put I a bow think on. I would it, probably know more about acting than whoever said uh, uh, Kate was the only actress on the show. You know, but she was the one. I, 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 think I do Kate, understand I think the remark. Is, is a very uh, good actress, yes, but uh, I don't. I don't know Kate. I said, you know, my two friends because I right. know uh, Jacqueline and and Farrah. Well, here's something I can say truthfully. I was one of the people who said, comparatively speaking, during that first year of Charlie's Angels, like, Kate Jackson, yes, she's the one who can act. And the reason why I said that, and I I believe the lesson was not lost on Farrah, much to her credit, because after Charlie's Angels, where she was the ultimate blonde bombshell and could joke about, look at this, and there's some silly business with a gun. The thing about Farrah is that at some point she began to take her craft a lot more seriously, and she became a wonderful actress, the burning bed being chief among the yeah, examples. No, again, may I correct your sequence? That was not the beginning of when she was taking her craft seriously. She always took herself and her, and, and her business seriously. It was when she was given or got projects where she could show you. Uh, at the, the Angels was not that opportunity. It was not in the writing, and it was not demanded of the performers. I mean, the girls would climb out of a swimming pool, take off their swimming caps, and out would flow this perfectly quaffed. No, no, I mean, they were selling something else. So when and they did say, sell it. Uh, that, then you were, and, and, and you were just saying, if I can correct your, your sequence, you were just saying that, oh, when she was finished with Charlie's, she started to take herself seriously and do good work or something. No, it was then. That's why she left. Actually, she wanted to start doing something more meaningful. You know, that that's kind of very famous. <laughs> that's why she wanted out. She wanted, she wanted to move on and do other things that demanded more from her, and she wanted to show that she had it. I know Robert Duvall said she was one of the best actresses she is, he's ever worked with. Oh, really? And I and think he's a, he's a fairly good judge, <laughs> I, I would say. say. Well, you just provided me and I think a lot of our listeners with some insight that we did not have before. In all these decades, I had never heard that evaluation, not one time. And you had the insight to share with us. I'm glad I brought it up and I just learned something. So thank you for that. And entirely non-MASH related. So this is this is uh, news we're breaking yeah. on Manson yeah. Mitchell here. Loretta, we need to take a break. And when we come back, plenty more to talk about. And we do want to make some time to talk about your, your book and about your animal activism as well. But I do want to get back to MASH because there are two episodes in particular that came up. They were mentioned along with some others. In, and isn't this fortuitous, an article that has just come out in The New Yorker 
having to do with the relevance of MASH in the 21st century. And our mm -hmm. buddy, Mike Robert, is there at the board, forwarded it to us so we could read it today in show preparation. What an amazing article of depth about MASH all these years later. And I'd like to get into some of the substance of that with you when we come back. So hold on, please. And everyone, give us a couple of minutes. We'll be right back more with Loretta Swit on Manson Mitchell of a Saturday right here on Seattle's home of Alternative Talk AM 1150. You're listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell from July 28, 2018. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our interview with Loretta Swit, no stranger to the great white way. Iconic on the TV series, MASH, of course, always, Hot Lips Houlihan, but very, very, very storied career on Broadway as well. And the lady is an artist and she's an author. And we're going to try to get to a bit of all of that in the next 25 minutes. Loretta, uh, I did want to uh, mention that in this article in The New Yorker, which really puts MASH into historical perspective in terms of America's pop culture and what it delivers to the world, about the sensibilities that play upon 21st century Americans as we look back on MASH, 
there were a few episodes mentioned in particular, two of which are among my favorites. I find them utterly intriguing, and I thought I would just bring them up to you and get your reaction to that. One was just on this week, as a matter of fact, because I was watching it. That's right. And then I walked into it from another room, and I go, hey, what is this? Ooh, look at this. And that was the episode called Dreams. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is so surrealistic, it could have been filmed back in the old days by someone like Eric von Stroheim or somebody. It had that unique dreamlike quality, and this was under a time of great stress, nonstop work for these field surgeons and nurses there in a time of war. And so, um, I mean, making that episode, what was that like for you with all these dream sequences? And uh, that's just really kind of a difficult question. It's it's acting. It's doing the work. It you don't you're you're doing the characters in their dreams, and and you're exploring their psyches, their their subconscious. And uh, Alan, I thought it was brilliant on his part to uh, come up with the um, writing, the idea. And he directed, I think, as well. I'm pretty sure he, yes, of course he did. And um, he had wanted, he had written that quite a while before we actually did it. Because timing is everything. It would, it would have been too soon to do it before we actually did. Uh, just like Comrades in Arms, uh, where, uh, where Hawkeye and Margaret uh, fall into each other's arms for comfort and, and safety and solace. And these two unlikely characters would never have have, have this experience uh, for uh, uh, other than they were in danger and scared. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so you have, but you have to have the relationship with the audience uh, before you can get to that place with them where they would accept something like dreams, where was it, where they would accept something like comrades in arms. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> For example, and when um, the writers and producers decided to kill uh, Henry Blake, uh, this tragedy, this terrible thing, on his way home, his plane gets shot down. Over the Sea of Japan. Okay, it is it's a perfectly wonderful example of how using a truth that people die in the war, and this is on film. This is, let's keep calling it a sitcom, and you're in love with this character. Everybody loved McLean Stevenson hyphen uh, Henry Blake, and they took the loss. So personally, it brought it really the, the they use this as an example of the loss in a war. So it's not just all uh, fun and games. It's not even only the horrific standing in blood and operating on kids that aren't old enough to shave. You also lose people. People die, not background people that you don't get to know. Characters, leading characters, commanding characters. What are you going to do about that? Take that anger, and we were the Gene Reynolds said inundated with mail saying, "How dare you?" And we 
gave them an opportunity to say, you know, do take that anger, put it against it, the war, end the war, that the war killed, killed Henry Blake. We didn't. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. A, a great interweaving of yeah. something on television along with what real life is all about. Right. Through and that so, historical yeah. lens, you were addressing a very current event at that time as Vietnam was coming to its tragic climax. Um, people still confuse which war it was, and our answer is it doesn't matter. We don't care if you made it real. It doesn't matter. Uh, it was war no difference what location right. you know right <laughs> but um but um dreams now dreams was something alan wanted to explore because somewhere that it has to come out our our humor uh during the days or our jokes our, our pranks the, the the craziness that you saw the drinking whatever was to sublimate the horror that we were living through. So where does it go? Where does it come out? They're working 24-7, you know. They're, they're up with helicopters, the noise at 3 a.m., and they're working till tomorrow until 3 p.m., and they fall into not even a comfortable bed. It's logical and sane to imagine they had nightmares. The boys who come back with PTSD certainly do. We're yes. training animals right now to help that. I have a, I'm watching a video that came to me because I want to be a part of this program. A video of this, of this dog waking this vet out of a, a nightmare, a vet who had PTSD. Mm. And they're training that, yeah. I mean, so so all of this was very, very real. And, and Alan's creativity, his imagination and so forth, uh, wrote that uh, wonderful episode. And for my character, uh, as you may or not remember, I was in the middle of being married when we had uh, choppers overhead, and I had a kiss him, say I do, and run into the OR in yes. my wedding gown. And of course, I was going to get splattered with blood. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and down the line, <laughs> does it surprise anybody that I would have a nightmare about that? You know, I mean, so, so he took all that, and um, they all, each one of our characters had those, those meaningful subconscious expressions in the form of a dream. This is a great, uh, this is a absolutely great innovative episode. Oh, it was terrific. And the Ribbon. audience, in the audience, see, the audience knew everybody so well at that point. We were such a family, us and, and globally. We were everybody's family. They were ready to see that and understand it and learn from it or whatever, you know. But you couldn't do that in, in the first year or the second or even the third. You couldn't because it, it, it's like moving into a new neighborhood. You've got to get to know your neighbors. 
Well, that was very, very intelligent the way that was handled. And as you said, timing is kind of everything. Yeah, I was I was surprised to learn that uh, this is the 45th anniversary of MASH. And, mm-hmm. Why were you, um, you know, boy, time flies time for flies. us baby boomers. <laughs> wait, wait, you're you're not retired, <laughs> Loretta. You, you, you keep working. You're doing live performances. I don't think actors, really re- actors don't retire. I really don't think they do. They, we love what we do. People who retire are accountants or something. You know, but people who really don't <laughs> like what they do very much. It's a living. It's okay, you know. But, boy, they're 65. Wow, I can't wait. So they leave and they go to Paris or they go on vacation somewhere else. And, you know, we we travel all the time. We go on shooting wonderful locations. And we, I mean, we love what we do. I can't think of a reason why I would want to retire. Oh. I don't. I, anyway, that's that. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but for myself and a lot of other friends that I that I have who are actors, we love what we do. Are you doing some live performances now? Because I know you've done those on and off all the time. Is there something that you're in right now uh, that you're enjoying? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not performing right now. I'm waiting for a movie of mine to come out. And I'm reading oh. a script now that I think has tremendous potential. And I did a short film. There, that is, It's a pilot, really, but they call them short films now that may turn into uh, another series. I'm not sure. And I'm, um, I'm planning on some other uh, plays to tour with. Um, um, there's a pl- wonderful play called Me and Jezebel. And uh, it's not a new play. It was done off-Broadway. Uh, or maybe, yeah, yeah, I think it was off-Broadway. Anyway, it's, this, it's a true story, apparently, of a Connecticut housewife who... Uh, whose idol all her life had been Betty Davis. And as luck would have it, Betty Davis is visiting some friends in the area, and her friends <clears throat> have to go out of town, and there is a, um, uh, and she doesn't want to leave Bet alone in their big house, and she calls the Connecticut housewife, me, and says, would you mind taking on uh, Bet Davis as a, as as a guest, and of course, the, the housewife flips. Are you? Oh my God! It was fantastic. I can't believe this dream come true. I'm going to meet her. I'm going to be with her. I'm going to know her. So that comes, and then there's a uh, hotel strike, and she has nowhere else to go, and she stays rather than the couple of days or the week, the long weekend. She stays for months on end, and oh, as we all know, gosh. that could be. That was. A force of nature. And so at this point, uh, the Connecticut wife's husband is ready to leave her. I mean, it's, it's very funny. and it's, But what makes it really interesting and, and great fun is that the writer wrote the part of Bette Davis to be played by a man. So um, that's how it's been done, and that's how, how I have done it. And it it adds a great deal of fun and charm to the piece, and uh, I just love, love I love the piece, and it's there's something that I think people take away with them um, from it as well. There's the kind of learning process and understanding that comes out of the experience, which I love. I love those kinds of plays where they're entertaining, 
as well as um, a kind of uh, a learning process where you actually learn something, you take away something uh, from it. Well, the the um, performances that you're doing live now, Mash had a, a studio audience. I'm I'm pretty sure. No, but no, I, it, no, it didn't. no, 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 no. So no, so no, then it no. was a very Mash different was shot. Mash was yeah. shot like a movie. Okay, Went out of yes. sequence like a movie. You're talking about three camera shows, like like Three's Company or like All in the Family. Are those there are those are shot live mm. with live with three cameras. Once a week, <laughs> and okay. and you rehearse all week, and you know so, and you have an audience like like a you know a, 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 like a theater audience, wonderful. But it's a whole different experience. No, this was well. Uh, that's we're, kind we're of where shooting, I was going. We're shooting you know, movies. How, how different to be able to get that audience feedback when you're doing me and Jezebel as opposed to the um, the movie like MASH. All of a sudden, you've got people who are reacting to what it is that you're saying. On Broadway, you've got that immediacy. Uh, all, all, all stage, yeah. It's, there are different mediums, different challenges and different rewards. Uh, I have to say <laughs> that uh, a few times in the 11 years, we had to reshoot a scene because the camera operator was laughing so hard it bumped the camera. So <laughs> you get your audience, you get your audience in different ways. Sometimes, uh, certainly, my colleagues uh, would would uh, during during the read during our rehearsal, you know, would uh, crack each other up. You know, well, that is the ultimate if you're making. Yes. Your fellow actor uh, laughed. Gary Berghoff and I had a scene once. We couldn't stop laughing. We were both crying. <laughs> and um, I, I ran into Larry Gelbart first thing the next morning, and I told him, I said, uh, look for that scene in dailies today. I said, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever, I've ever done. I said, we, we were killing ourselves. We couldn't stop laughing. So he said, great. And then I said, oh, wait a minute. Now I've oversold it. This is going to be terrible. Oh, God, no. You know? And he said, no, no, no. I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. So we sat together during dailies. And when that scene came on, he laughed so hard. He slapped my, my leg and nearly <laughs> broke it. <laughs> we were laughing and crying together. Uh, here's, here's your audience in that medium, okay? On yeah. stage, I love stage. Uh, stage is still probably my favorite love. It's where I began, and, uh, you know, I went home with the guy who brought me. But I love uh, that breathing animal of an audience out there. Uh, oh, yes, the previews, they tell you a lot of where to go, maybe, and push you in a different direction that you didn't know you could take it that far. And, yeah, you can, because they're still laughing. So you can keep, you know... Whatever, um, but um, I love I love a live audience. Yes, that exchange. But of I energy. don't. But I, and I've done three camera. I don't. I don't like it in that sense very much, or okay. as much. Let's say. Uh, yes. You're stopping and starting, and you're, I. It's not the same. It's a different. It's a, it's a different art form uh, than than live. Stage and, and uh, live audience. I can see where that would be the case. That's for sure. 
Uh, Loretta, I did want to get a, a quick, and, and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm emphasizing brevity because we got about seven minutes to go, but I did want to mention one episode in particular that is so timely today and in a way that I never would have imagined when I saw it the first time, and that was the MASH episode called Fallen Idol, where uh, Al, you know Hawkeye just blows it, and he is uh, uh, verbally humiliating he, Radar. He Gary, it's Gary Berghoff's uh, moment. Yeah, and Gary right. wonderful. Gary and Alan have this wonderful uh, uh, altercation, really, and, uh, where Gary's uh, telling him how disappointed he is, and, and Alan is, uh, and rightly so, screaming, how dare you? I don't have to live up to what you have, your, your thoughts uh, are of me. And, you know, they were both right, actually. But it was, it was wonderful, wonderful. Mesh. The, the, the greatness, I think, of the writers and the producers always um, try to delve into the unexpected, put two characters together that you wouldn't expect to be together. What would happen if, what would happen if, um, if Klinger is driving Hot Lips to Kimpo and they get a flat or, they, or, he, or the engine breaks down, whatever, and they have to spend a night together <laughs> and let's make it her birthday and let's you know and they keep going and so that you have these extraordinary experiences that uh, for an actor to, to explore those areas yes and that that for me was the, what was um, the greatness of what they gave us on paper to to work with uh, we all Absolutely. felt that too. You know, the actors, uh, the actors knew every day how extraordinary uh, our experiences were. Having each how other, how wonderful! Being how wonderful imagined. to know what you have while you have it. That's a that's a gift. Oh, you said it. That's exactly perfectly right. I don't have to look back and regret that I didn't appreciate what I had. Uh, you know, we all felt that we were uh, having a wonderful, wonderful life. And, uh, and um, it, was, it infected the world. It infected the, the, the families. The families, the reason MASH continues is because from generation to generation, you keep passing us along as a family. This was our family. This is the family Daddy grew up with. And then that dad, that little boy grows up, and he's daddy, and he's saying to his kid, this is granddaddy's the family. And then it became daddy's family. Now it's going to be your family. And it keeps on going. And it's wonderful. We used oh, to it definitely is. We used to babysit. I have a letter from a woman, now, of course, mature, who became a nurse because of me. And when she wrote the letter, it was to tell me that as a child growing up, she didn't have much nurturing. It was a broken home. Uh, father didn't have anything to contribute. The mother held down two jobs. And she was basically alone. And she said, you became my older sister. You got me through it. I can't tell you what that means to get a, a letter like that. I can't. There is nothing. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. There's no, no paycheck. There's no award. 
you get a letter like that, you have touched somebody's life in this extraordinary way. So, you know, that um, person communicated it, but I'm sure that you've touched many, many lives, oh, yeah. many of whom you will never know because they didn't write the letter. And, you know, that is just part of a of wonderful it. legacy that you have left on screen. And you also have another legacy that you have recently come out with, and that is your your drawings of animals. And the book is Switheart. The Watercolor Artistry mm-hmm. and Animal Activism mm-hmm. of Loretta mm-hmm. Swit. In terms of animal animal activism, you're changing lives and attitudes in that way, in a very important way, which is a great contribution to society, Loretta. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. I, I, um, I, I've been doing this, you know, all my life, uh, working uh, in a humane environment. And this book has uh, pulled together a lot of passions. Um, my animals, my art, and my outreach, or whatever. Um, the book uh, brings to light uh, the plight of many uh, species, uh, but more importantly, what you can do about it, you know, that you don't have to uh, say, gee, um, uh, that's too bad, or something. There's something you can do about it. <clears throat> There's a list of uh, important people who work in that direction that you can contact that you what can i do oh i'm let me tell you in any town go to the aspca <clears throat> they have animals there who need to be walked who need to you, be socialized there are so many things you can do you know bring some blankets bring some food i don't there are things you really you sincere you want to help do something don't walk away and say gee that's too bad and the i think the book i hope uh brings that to light and it also gave me an opportunity to write an homage to my MASH family uh, by virtue of this beautiful lithograph that Bernie Fuchs did of us and that Fox gave us uh, on our 10th anniversary. And it's, um, it was an opportunity for me to show a piece of art, but also to uh, ex- express my love for my family. Beautiful. Um, Loretta Sweat, yeah. let me thank you. I want to give the title again, Sweatheart. And it's a, a beautiful book, Sweatheart, the Watercolor Artistry and Animal Activism of Loretta Sweat. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for gracing us on the show once again. Great to talk to you. Come back anytime you want. We've got to wrap it up now here in a matter of seconds, but uh, grateful thanks to you. I will, so- because we really need to talk about the uh, project we're working on, bringing back the canine teams from uh, Afghanistan. I want to link my arms with the American Humane Society. You got it. doing an incredible job bringing them back. You will do that. Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell. 
I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington.